welcome to The Healing Art of Being You, where we share stories, ideas, and techniques for leaving behind a life of pain. Here is a place you will find friends to grow with and walk with you towards a life full of abundance. Through intuition, collaboration, and open-mindedness, we seek to serve our highest selves, opening our minds and our hearts to the possibilities of what could truly be. If you're looking around and see other people living effortless lives, and you want this too, and you're ready to step off that hamster wheel and never-ending cycle of exercises to keep your pain and other symptoms managed, then you're in the right place. I've been in healthcare for over a decade. I've been a chronic pain warrior for over two decades. It wasn't until recently, within the last several years, that I underwent probably the most challenging event of my life that really shattered all of the existing foundation and systems that I had in place. In doing so, it, I was able to look outside of the rigid framework that I had taken to be fact and the only option out there. And it wasn't until I looked outside of that box that I found truly what really helped me and allowed me to make the changes and really get my life back. In doing so, I met this wonderful human who has absolutely changed my life and everyone she comes in contact with does the same. She is a complete inspiration and I am so excited to allow her to share her wisdom and wonders with the rest of the world. Thank you, Chelsea. You're welcome. Over my 12-year career of working with chronic pelvic pain and seeing a lot of the most complex things we can see, kind of began to realize that people would come in and tell me these crazy stories about stuff that should by no means help them but I also wasn't gonna sit here and tell them that it wasn't helping them. And as I began to hear more stories, I kind of started seeing the limitations of, wow, this has been patient after patient who's done everything I'm asking them to do. And they're not getting better the way that they should be getting better. And then they go and they met with a womb healer or they met with an energy healer or they met with a something else that by all rights is like a woo-woo, fake, snake oil type of situation. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, their actual body feels better. I can feel it in their tissues. And now they're in no pain. So I'm not going to sit here and tell them that they are in pain. So it kind of opened up my eyes that, like, while the stretching and the strengthening stuff is incredibly beneficial, the manual therapy is incredibly beneficial, those are kind of like the Band-Aids to help manage the symptoms until we actually get to the root cause of what is actually going on. And that is all happening in the mind. Not that these things are made up but that it's being controlled by the messages in the mind, in the spirit, throughout our body. And if we don't respect that, that connection between the mind and the body, we're going to be stuck on that hamster wheel of that never-ending cycle of like, oh, I've got to make sure I do this stretch, or I've got to make sure I strengthen this, or I've got to make sure that I go see my, my massage therapist and my chiropractor and my PT and my all these people on a regular basis to manage these symptoms mm -hmm. instead of getting to the root cause of it, which is all this emotion and energy and crap that we're storing in our bodies mm -hmm. that we can't get to with stretching and strengthening. We need other components. We don't need practitioners to fix us. We can use the practitioners to help us come up with solutions. But really what we need to be doing as practitioners is teaching people how to interpret what's happening in their body and how many different resources are out there to help them and to not give up and to just listen to the intuition that our own bodies are telling us on a regular basis, but that we have shut off communication with over years and years and years of being told that this stuff is fake. Because it's not. It's very, very real. And I see it on the daily with people who have been bedbound, people who have had to quit working, mm -hmm. people who can't have, you know, pelvic exams or intimacy with their partners 
all of a sudden living massively fulfilling lives mm -hmm. because they can finally function again. Right. Because we give them the space to, to explore what's actually happening because sometimes no amount of stretching is going to fix it. Amen. You know, like, Amen. there's no amount of stretching is going to do it. There's so much more that goes into it. You start to recognize, like, like it wasn't until I started working with other practitioners for myself mm -hmm. that I was able to be like, oh my gosh, like I did not have to be dealing with that pain. That is not just like a part of like growing up. Like right. that's ridiculous. And so when I started like, you know, when, I, when Nicole, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I would love to get to know you better. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a chiropractor reaching out to me? started talking to her about things and mm -hmm. stuff. And I started recognizing that like, oh my gosh, like this is a practitioner who loves collaborative care. She loves to be able to be like, listen, like this is your area of expertise. This is my mm -hmm. area of expertise. And we're working together to make this happen. Right. Made all the difference in the world to the point that like when I, I always tell people when I talk to my patients about like, why am I recommending Nicole to you? I'll yeah. tell you why. Because as a PT, I feel like I should know how to fix a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? And I do. Yeah. But when I, in my ultimate genius of a moment as a mom, trying to fit in a workout where I should not have been trying to fit in a workout, I tried to do a quick lift. And anybody who lifts weights can tell you that doesn't exist. Like, you have to warm up. You've got to do your mobility work beforehand. And it's not like you're doing long stretches, but you've got to be, you've got to be working into your lifts and things like mm -hmm. that. So I decided to like do like a couple warm up sets and then start doing some some heavy lifts and I ended up injuring my SI joint and I was doing all of the stuff that I knew as a PT mm -hmm. to do. And it was like six weeks later and I was still lingering. I was like, oh, this is the pits. So I called mm -hmm. Nicole. I was like, I did something stupid and I would love your help. And I went in to go work with her. And yeah, like in a couple of weeks, she was getting my body to respond where I hadn't. Mm -hmm. And I knew all the things. I was doing all the things, right? right. Things that people come and see me for. Things right. that I know have helped people stop exactly. having pain. And it wasn't getting there. And what she did was, like, one of the things that she did was, like, when I was on my belly, she made me mm -hmm. lift my leg up. And, like, one side was super hard to do. And the other side was super easy to do. And then she used, I, I don't know what she calls it, but her little clicky-clacky little yeah. thing. And all of a sudden, like, I immediately, immediate response of, like, lifting my mm -hmm. leg. There was no snapping, cracking, popping. There was no any of the stuff that I had been told to fear from chiropractic. It wasn't that. Right. She was just changing the environment of how the nerve is coming out of the spine so that it could communicate with my muscles better, which is something that I wasn't doing. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden, now I'm fine. So it's like a collaborative care is like a game changer. The secret sauce. Yeah. 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 Can you tell me a little bit about what made you want to go into pelvic floor PT? Mm-hmm. So Ryan and I got married very young. Um, we were like 22, 23. Uh, I graduated grad school when I was 24 and I had wanted to start a family early. And so, um, and he kind of came along for the ride. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was obviously like on board with everything, right. but I think that because it was his first year working as an athletic trainer. So I think there was a lot of like, he had some, some fear around that about, you know, anytime you're brand new in a job, you're just, I don't know, maybe, yeah. not, maybe no people don't feel like this. I no. know I did. I know Ryan did like scared to death, especially in the medical oh, field yeah. of like, please don't let me hurt somebody. Absolutely. Like, please just don't let me hurt somebody. Oh, yeah. And so he was working as an athlete trainer. He really was kind of like in this, like, Oh, Oh, uh, uh, what? Like this is right now. And I'm like, yes, right now, please. Like I would like to have a baby <laughs> now because I didn't want to work for a year to earn FMLA. Right. I knew I wanted to start sooner. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we, in, while I was in grad school, we got pregnant and I was supposed to be due in June. Um, our son came three and a half weeks early and you know him. He's, he's to this day, what's going on? What are you doing? Hey, what, what are you doing? What's going on? Like, he's so nosy. Like, I think he just couldn't wait to get here. Yep. Um, and so after we had him, um, I remember after I had gotten cleared from the doctor and he was like, yep, everything's good. You're good to go. I was like, okay, cool. So I went to the gym. I hadn't been out of the house in forever. Cause basically what happened was, is I graduated May 1st. And then on like a um, Friday or Saturday. And then we moved my second. I took my jurisprudence exam the following Friday. I took my board exam a week and a half later. And then he was born 
Um, I found out I passed the next morning and he was born the next day. So it was like all these things happened at one time. Surprise! I know. Exactly. I think he was like, you've got to get me out of here. This is horrible. Yeah, um, he was like, that's enough. No, we're done with this. That's stress. Uh-uh. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, we're done here. Um, and so I hadn't been out of the house because I'd been sitting and studying right. for like three and a half weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. Or three weeks, I guess. And so... Um, and so I hadn't been out of the house. And so when the doctor cleared me, I was like, oh, thank goodness, I've got to get out of here, right? right? And so I went to the gym. I was super excited. I was just going to, like, walk on the treadmill for a little bit. And all of a sudden, I was like, ooh, I, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, my God, I really have to go to the bathroom. So I took off running to the bathroom. And I fully emptied my bladder on the locker room floor. And thank goodness this gym hadn't gone green yet. And there were still paper towels. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have been really in a bad way. Um, so I, like, run to the bathroom. I'm wiping everything off and everything. And I, I wrap up my underwear and toilet paper. And I do, like, the walk of shame out mm-hmm. to the car, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, it's official. I can never go back to this gym right. ever. Um, I call my mom when I get to the car. I was like, oh, my God, Mom. I, this is what happened. And she was like, um, that seems a little early for these things to be happening. Like these things can happen after you have kids, but this is a little bit early. Maybe go back and like talk to the doctor because like at this point now, like my PT brain's kicking in. Right. right? So clearly, clearly I'm dying. Of course. Right. I have like, you know, bladder cancer, spinal cord tumor, some sort of, you know, you have differential diagnoses as long as the CBS receipt. Right. Like, basically, like, I'm on Dr. Google right now, oh, and yeah. everything leads back to cancer, mm-hmm. right? Or some sort of, like, inoperable birth of trauma, course. right? Of course, yeah. So I go back to the doctor, and he does his little exam, and he goes, yeah, everything looks good. So my first immediate thing was like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be okay. And then I was like, wait a minute. Um, I'm 24 years old, and I just wet my pants at the gym. How is everything good? And he sat there in his seat and he goes, I mean, you had a baby. You're not 15 anymore. What'd you expect? And I was like, I'm sorry. Did you just tell me that I have a sloppy vagina? (laughs) Like, what? Oh my goodness. I was like, uh, well, I'm not 80, you know? Right. He goes, just do a hundred Kegels every time you feed your baby. Oh, easy. Yeah. And I'm like, thank God it was my first. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I didn't have as much going on. But, like, that's, like, 800 Kegels a day. Yeah. Right? And, like, I was a new young professional, right? Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, doctor's always right, you know? Right, of course. And so, and as I sit back and I look back on my life, I'm like, Allison, like, you would never, like, I worked in ortho at the beginning, but this yeah. was before I even started practicing. It's like, you would have never given anybody 800 of anything unless it was, like, steps to walk. Right. You know? Like, what are you thinking? But I did it. Cause he knew best. Mm-hmm. So I did my 800 kegels a day and my incontinence stopped. And then I had severe pelvic pain. Shocker. Right. Big surprise. Mm-hmm. Huge surprise. So I had massive pelvic pain for years and I did the whole like grit your teeth and bear it to like have sex or to have a pelvic exam. And like that was, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. So after I'd been practicing for about a year, we had a pelvic PT who worked at our practice and she was amazing, but I was like terrified to say anything. Cause I was like, so embarrassed. Of I was course. 24 years old, so embarrassed. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my vagina's broken and all the, all the negative self talk. I'm never going to be able to have sex with my husband so again. Shame. Oh my gosh. So much shame mm-hmm. because it's like, because again, even though. Even though we had a very loving relationship. Even though. I had this perception of what women had to be in a relationship based on what I had been shown in life, I guess. Right. right? Absolutely. So despite the fact that it didn't matter how many times he said, like, it's okay if this doesn't happen. Like, I know you're going through a lot of pain. I don't want to hurt you. Right. right? All all of the things. I still had guilt and shame. Mm Mm-hmm. That I was not available for him. Of course. And then, of course, on top of that, over time, it turned into like, well, don't wear makeup because you don't want to look too nice because then you'll have to turn them down. And and make sure that you don't, you know, don't linger in that hug goodbye because you don't want to give him the wrong idea and then have to turn him down. You know, don't don't sit too close to him on the couch because then he's going to think that you're leading up to something and then you have to turn him down. Cutting like, off all intimacy. Exactly. So it's like... 
it was not great for anybody involved. And of right. course, he has no idea what's happening, right? right. Because He's I'm not like, saying what's going on. Also. Right. So Why now he just like a weirdo? exactly. So he just thinks I'm like pulling away, pulling yeah. away. And so, luckily, our communication styles have improved drastically since that point <laughs> in time. <laughs> because otherwise, I don't know that we'd still be married. <laughs> oh man. Um, but anyway, so fast forward to I'm working now. I've been in the practice for a year, and they're like, "Hey, our public PT is currently just like." flooded in pelvic floor patients like we need somebody to help with that that was a really bad terminology but we're going with it and so um so they're like does anybody else want to learn how to do this and I was like yes absolutely look my hand shot so far up into that air so fast that it was like I had to come up with a reason as to like why I was so eager to do this and because people were kind of like and I was like, oh, because like she's so talented and I would just like love the mentorship and like she's just like the best, you know, right. and they were like, OK, so they sent me to training and it was like it was incredible, like being in this room of all these people who were like dealing with the same sort of stuff mm -hmm. and and to the point that they felt passionate enough to like work with other people right and so i think a lot of us kind of get into our professions because like we're trying to help ourselves mm -hmm. and then we're like oh wow other people can be helped by this too and yeah. so i started i started like treating pelvic like floor patients and i was just like in love with it i never went back and then when i relocated back to columbus i shifted from working like half and half like ortho and pelvic floor to like all pelvic floor and working with like crazy complex patients mm -hmm. we were very fortunate enough to work with like two physicians who were like top in the country like really really good so they were the ones who were seeing patients who had had many surgeries super chronic symptoms and stuff and it was just it was so intriguing it was so interesting um but that's kind of what took me into that world. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that it was within your own personal like healing journey. Yeah. That kind of led Well, you that was a thing is because Ryan as an athletic trainer has a good working knowledge of mm -hmm. um anatomy and directional terms. So like I would like go to these classes and I would like learn how to do things mm -hmm. and then I come back and I'd be like, "Okay, I need you to treat me." And I would like guide him through these different techniques. God love him. I know. He's amazing. God love him. And he was like, you know, can you he's so like basically when we were working together and stuff and he was able to kind of he was able to feel that like right. oh your tissue initially was like knocking on a door uh -huh. and now it feels like soft and pliable so right. he was able to kind of notice the difference and stuff like that too which I think I think it's important to have partners get involved with the treatment because like as much as they consciously believe that you are not making it up mm -hmm. that you are genuinely in pain and they want to support you mm -hmm. there is kind of this like underlying thing of like okay but like enough is enough right because they have emotions too right and it's like there's this kind of sense of like when you have things that have been going on for years mm -hmm. it's hard because most things don't right most things don't go on for years and so when you're sitting there and you're just like I want to be supportive, but like, is this going to be forever? Like the person yeah. who's experiencing the symptoms is already fearful that it's going to be forever. Absolutely. And then the partners are like trying to be uplifting. They're trying to, but they're just like, Oh my God, like we've been doing this forever. Yeah. It's like, they don't have permission mm -hmm. to have the feelings that they have because mm -hmm. they aren't the victim. They are not the ones going through the pain. Mm -hmm. They're the, the, the unconsenting. <laughs> the non-consenting mm -hmm. passenger mm -hmm. and you just completely took over yeah. yeah you just completely shifted his reality yep and he's like okay now i can't not only can i not ask is this going to be forever mm -hmm. but i can't even hint towards that thought going through my head mm -hmm. because that will trigger her yeah and she'll feel worse yep and so they're just piling it all on top oh for sure and especially because especially when it's like something that is from like a like a um like for me it was a birth injury but mm -hmm. there's other forms of trauma out there that can occur where it was like I was fine on a Thursday mm -hmm. and I wasn't fine on a Friday absolutely yeah and it's like this big like total whirlwind of yeah. like okay well we had already been together at this point when did we start dating I was we were 16 right so this is what's my math like 8 years right so we'd already been together for 8 years and we had an established kind of like how our relationship yeah. worked and then all of a sudden poof, totally different totally direction different. and it was crappy like it was yeah. crappy like i am forever grateful that he doesn't have like a misogynistic bone in his body mm -hmm. that he genuinely 
like he and his core part of his soul feels that like physical intimacy is a progression of mental and emotional intimacy. It's like he can still have so much intimacy without the physical side, but he, mm -hmm. he feels super connected to the physical side, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, while he appreciates that he wants that, I still hold value to him outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so, and on top of that, he is like, he's like the ride or die kind of guy. Like he's with me till the end. And so mm -hmm. if I'm like, Hey, we got to work on these things. You know, he's like 100% I'm in it. Like, what do I need to work on? What, like, who are you working with? And right. like, he's asking questions and well, how are you feeling about that and stuff? And I mean, like I might be working with somebody for, you know, a year, two years, whatever. And mm -hmm. he might need to kind of see that the results, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like he might sure. need to let that confirmation right. um, before he's like, okay, yeah, before I might benefit that right. from that. Before he's really on the bus. Right. But he's definitely never going to criticize me for it. Right. Um, and he's totally open to it. But at the same time, it may just be that I haven't, or that he hasn't like, it hasn't hit him at that time yet where he needs it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like this, while this was very much a personal endeavor for you to go through, it seems like it really also was part of your path together. Yeah. In order to really develop that relationship mm -hmm. that has taken you through mm -hmm. the next however many years and has and you have these three wonderful children yeah. as a result, right? Like yeah. you kind of faced adversity yeah together as well. Well, and I'll tell you, there's for anybody who has experienced painful penetration. Mm -hmm. There is a lot that goes into it from a psychological standpoint. Absolutely. And so there's that component of like having like you, you know, you love this person, mm -hmm. you know, you trust this person, yep. you know, they don't want to hurt you. All of those things are accurate. They're valid. They're true, but your body's still trying to protect you. Right. So there is nothing that helps you train your body to trust this person more than having this person be your primary source of treatment. Amen. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, so that really opened up our communication as to like, that, that pressure's too heavy. And you just stop right there. Like all that kind of stuff, like anything like that, just to kind of like train my nervous system yeah. that like he cares, he listens uh -huh. because I consciously knew that. Right. Consciously I knew that, mm -hmm. but my body didn't care. Right. It was like, nah, girl, like, we're going to go ahead and protect you. I was like, no, I don't want you to right now. Just stop it. Like, can you just do less, please? Yeah, do less. Do less. Yes. <laughs> Which is, oh, that really needs to be, like, our motto for life sometimes. Right? Just do less. Just do less. It's, it's not, we don't need all that. I pulled that card the other day. I pulled that card from my Gabby deck. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, she has a do less card? It literally says, like, do less and you'll receive more or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure does. That's hilarious. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. I want to say this was, like, the day after I pulled the same card three days in a row. Yeah. Seems telling. Right? Seems telling. Yeah. Just a sign. Yeah. I've never used those cards. I love them. Do you? Gabby. Abby got it for me for Christmas. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. And I've wanted them for so long, so it was perfect. I yeah. opened them and I was like, so excited. I love them. It seems like how I like when I listen to um, Beautiful Chorus. Yes. Like how I how I treat Beautiful Chorus. It's That's like, exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly this it. This is Beautiful what I Chorus, need today. Your shuffle of Beautiful Chorus mm -hmm. is just like your Oracle deck. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's like, this is what I needed today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Those I have guys. beautiful chorus going through my head all the time. Nice all the time. Oh my goodness. Beautiful chorus is the most beautiful <laughs> music ever. It's going to change your life. So yeah. basically it's like, it's these like four people with these beautiful voices and it, it some of it's acapella and some of it's yeah. music, um, but they harmonize so well, but most of their, most of their words. Mm-hmm are very much um, like affirmations and like positive self-talk. Mm -hmm. And what's really, really cool, what I like about it is because I have people who I work with across the entire spectrum of spirituality and religion and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if you're somebody who is religious, you can kind of see it as a prayer, mm -hmm. you know, like you're saying this prayer over and over again. Yeah. For somebody who's spiritual, you can think about it more as like putting it out into the universe. You're putting out these good vibes. You're putting out these good thoughts um, and intentions into the universe. And if you're somebody who's like, you know, you don't believe in anything, 
is that agnostic atheist mm-hmm. i can't ever remember yeah. whatever mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. um not to be disrespectful for, to those who no. are that way i just can't remember the terminology but if you don't believe Words in anything are hard, you know. they are really really are um then it can kind of be more of like a positive self-talk like just kind of like what you're saying to yourself and stuff mm-hmm. so it really hits people on all fronts which i really i really really love mm-hmm. um it's just so good it it's is. so good. It's really good. So we listen to it. So I listen to either that or I listen to um, Stephen Halpern when I'm working with my patients. So Stephen Halpern has like different um, wavelength, different frequency music that's supposed to hit like different brain waves. If I understand that correctly. Abigail, how do you say this? Binaural, 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 binaural. Yeah. That, <laughs> that. Um, and so we just have a disclaimer. Yeah. Right at the bottom of the show notes, words are hard. Words are hard. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Please, please understand that anything that we misspoke about was unintentional, and we are happy for you to correct us in yes. a kind and constructive manner. Please feel free. Please feel free. Like, we are always open to new education. The second we <laughs> close ourselves off to that, the second we just stop progressing as a yeah. human. And I love to make up words, so. Well, to be fair, honestly. All words are made up anyways. That is accurate. 100%. And I don't feel like adults should be allowed to make up words. I feel like kids should be allowed to make up words. They yeah. they are the most descriptive and perfect words. Yeah. Like when Tanner was younger, he was like, we were getting ready to go to the, we were just standing in the kitchen, I think actually. And he was getting a little flustered about something. And I was like, what is the issue? He's like, I can't find my water glasses. I'm like, your water glasses? What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, there they are. And he put them on and they were goggles. And I was like, of course goggles should be called water glasses. Why are we calling them goggles? Like, they are are water glasses. This is exactly what they are. And so, yeah, I think that children should be in charge of naming all things. I agree. Because it's it's so much, A, way more fun. Way more fun. B, super accurate. Super accurate. Yeah. That's how I feel about that. I agree. Kids are the best. Kids are the best. They are just like, like everybody has to make their own decisions on what they want to do about kids. But having kids in your life, you know, from yeah. a from a perspective of aunt or oh, parent or babysitter absolutely. or whatever the case is, even mm-hmm. if you're not like the primary caregiver, having children in your life mm-hmm. is freaking hilarious. It's amazing. They are so, they're A, they're so much more fun than adults are. So much more fun. Especially like, I love my children, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's like when you can like, check in and check out. Oh yeah. When it's other people's kids, uh, other people's kids, they're, Mm -hmm. they're fun, you know? Yeah. No, I'm with you. I always said that that was, that was actually one of the defining things that helped me work through what I was going through, right. With my journey and not having children was that I would have an army of nieces and nephews and godchildren. And I still had all of the all of that wonderful, unconditional love and energy and that bond and that connection and all of that fun that it didn't have to look no. like mainstream your cookie cutter mom dad two kids mm-hmm. family right. like my family could look a little bit different mm-hmm. and i am so thankful for that realization because that definitely helped me move forward and realize that not only was i not was I looking at a future without the opportunity of having children that I was okay with that and that I was choosing something that had equal opportunities for love and joy and could just look different. It didn't have to look the same. It didn't have to fit in that box. What do you think it was that helped you to get to that point where you felt that way? Like, do you think you would have come to that decision years before you actually came to that decision? Oh, no. I mean, the year after, when I got diagnosed, so I had my first surgery the day after Christmas, 2013. And that spring, I would say, so January into April, really, my sister was pregnant. My sister was pregnant with her first child. And so that was really, really difficult for us. For me, specifically, Specifically, I had a really hard time being around her and uh, being in that joy with her because it was just too painful for me. And at the time, I was, I was dead set on having kids. Being a mother was always what I was supposed to be, right? That I knew that. I was never a question. So, and I was also someone who wanted to be a mother later in life. I didn't want to have kids immediately, right? So then I'm faced with this ticking time bomb of a uterus 
and I'm diagnosed and they're telling me if I want to use my uterus, I need to do it now. And so I'm like, oh shit, man, like, I don't have a boyfriend. I haven't graduated from nursing school yet. Mm-hmm. I don't even have like a real job. Like, am I just supposed to like walk down the street and find mm-hmm. someone? Hey, you want to have you want to have a baby with me? Right. Sounds great. And what beautiful fear mongering language, right? Right. Like now that we know what we know, yes. what was that doing to you? Exactly. Hormonally? Exactly. Like, I was a disaster. I was a disaster. Yeah. And so, I definitely went through a period of questioning whether or not children were my like end goal. Like, am I? going to get a sperm donor and do this by myself. Like, and my mom was, they were ready to support me in whatever I decided was my path, right? Um, luckily for me, I ended up getting connected with Dr. Minnie, my specialist, and she kind of said, like, hey, listen, if you want to have kids, but you're not ready to now, we're going to put this on a shelf, okay? If you want babies, I can get you babies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how they come. Right? We're just going to put this over here. Right. If you're not ready to deal with it, there's no reason for us to talk about it. Perfect. So I went into this like, okay, awesome. It might still be a journey, but I'm going to get to that later. Right. 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 I have my do first. Do you feel like you went into avoidance with that or do you feel like you went into relief? I wouldn't say avoidance because it became very clear to me that it was still, it was going to still be a very large factor in my journey, but one that I didn't have to immediately like jump that hurdle at that moment. So I was like, okay, this gives me the permission. Yes. Yes. The permission to like explore my life and like not immediately focus on things like that. Right. So when I had my first surgery with Dr. Minnie, mm-hmm. that's when she found the endometriosis on my rectum. Mm-hmm. And so it was supposed to be an hour and a half surgery, turned into a four and a half hour surgery. Everything that I had had removed in December, so this was October, mm-hmm. less than a year later. What year were you in? 2014. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had just started working as a nurse, mm-hmm. new grad, med surge unit. And I go in for my surgery on Halloween. And everything's back, 10 times worse. And so she's like, hey, listen, there is endo on your rectum. It's not safe for me to remove. At some point, you're going to need a bowel resection. But until you're ready to have kids, there's no point in us addressing that either because if we remove it but keep your uterus, it's just going to continue to grow back. So put that on the shelf with the kids, and when we're ready, we'll deal. Because they did an excision, not an ablation, correct? Excision, correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, she did an excision. And that gave me, again, the permission to be like, okay, so this is really bad. <sighs> the reality is as bad as it feels, right? Because at that point, I was just absolutely devastated. I couldn't function. I couldn't sit. This chair that I'm sitting in right now, I would have been in bed for four days afterwards. I sat on a wooden chair at Christmas that year Mm -hmm. and then could not go to work that next day. And it was my first day on my new floor when the James opened. So it was one of those things that there was a lot of guilt and shame with, right? And so it wasn't really until um, several surgeries later (laughs) that uh, I was really getting to that place of like, okay, I... I want kids, but what is it going to take for me to get them, mm-hmm. right? And at what point does it really defeat the purpose? At what point am I killing myself in order to have this life that I had become so attached to? Right. And so I was really just in that place of my life can look however I want it to. And if I want to prescribe to this narrative that I have to do this in order to be whole, then this is what my life is going to look like. And if I choose, again, to think outside the box, it might be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I will be honest. It was definitely a big... um, influence when I started dating Matthew, mm-hmm. for sure. He was very much open to whatever I wanted was how he handled it, right? Mm-hmm. He was like, 
if you want kids and it can be in the future, then it can be in the future. Mm -hmm. If you don't, I'm okay with that too. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to choose myself over this storybook, quote unquote, future that was ahead of me, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it got to the point where I, I can still remember one day we were at work and I'm in the patient's room in the ICU and he is, I'm like doubled over in pain, doubled over. And he's like, how much longer are you gonna do this? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, how much longer are you gonna kill yourself? Mm -hmm. What What are you, this, this life doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The years before the mythical kids happen don't matter. It's just totally fine for you to be miserable every single day and not live your life, mm -hmm. live your life in bed, not be able to go to the grocery store, not be able to hold your bladder, mm -hmm. not be able to have sex without that pain, mm -hmm. and then not being able to get up afterwards mm -hmm. and walk the next day mm -hmm. or clean my shower, mm -hmm. right? And so he's like, I care far less about children we don't have yet than I do about you mm -hmm. and what you're going through and the pain that mm -hmm. you experience every day. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot for me because at the time I was defensive, I was like, listen, you don't get it, mm -hmm. of course, right? You don't get it, mm -hmm. it's not your body, it's not your uterus, but he did, he absolutely <laughs> did. And so it, I really had to work through that on my own mm -hmm. because it was, it was important to me that his opinion did not make my decision. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to go into this with the mindset of it fully being up to me because I loved him too much to allow our relationship to be tainted by resentment. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I mean, we would talk, we would have conversations about it. He would, he would be there for me, right? He was a sounding board and he had an opinion and he would, he would be that caring and compassionate rock, mm -hmm. which is what he was. But I was the one making the decisions mm -hmm. and I was very much like, listen, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I'm realizing that like all of the reasons why I want children are selfish. I wanted somebody, I was afraid, what happens? What happens if I get old and I'm lonely? What happens if I get old and I'm by myself? Do I want to live in mm -hmm. a nursing home by myself? Are we going to just like rot? Mm -hmm. in the, you know, mm -hmm. and working in the ICU like I do, I'm like, am I going to even have family to come visit me? Am mm -hmm. I going to end up one of these bodies hooked to a ventilator, being kept alive by drips because my healthcare power attorney doesn't understand or doesn't, isn't, isn't of the same mindset that I am, right? And so I'm like, is that really a good reason to have kids? Do I have kids because I don't want to be lonely or like I want someone to clean me up when I'm in a nursing home? No, that's not why you have children. You don't have children for selfish reasons like that, right? So I'm like, hold on a second. If the only reasons I want kids are for things I don't want to experience, that's not a good reason. And the more miserable my daily life got, the more I was like, truly, what am I waiting for? And then the pandemic hit and I worked myself into the grave and I truly could not get out of bed between shifts. I could not do the dishes. I couldn't shower. Thank God for scrub caps, let me just tell you. Thank God for scrub caps because I could not shower between shifts. I could not function at all. And that really, really made me identify what was important in my life. And at that moment, it was work, mm -hmm. right? That guilt and shame was driving the bus and it was like, if you can't attend your scheduled shift today, you are unworthy of life, mm -hmm. right? You can't possibly have joy or love or happiness if you can't perform in this capitalist society. Mm -hmm. I was broken, mm -hmm. I was the problem. And so I doubled down, man, I doubled down. I kept going, I was like, you know what? I see you, let's go. And it would be to the point where Matt is like, bringing me dinner outside my patient's room and I'm refusing to sit down and eat. And he's like, Chelsea, that person is already half dead. I'm going to need you to come make sure that you don't join them yeah. for me to listen and realize. And I'm like, what kind of life would I be giving these children anyways? If I can't even take care of myself, if I'm so broken that I can't even take care of myself, what kind of life would I be giving these kids? Right. right? And so 
I mean, I was excited about my hysterectomy. I was ready. I was like, I want my life back. I want my life back. I am 30. I had turned 30. I had gone through that most recent surgery where I had had that little casual episode of heart failure and kidney failure. That was enough to scare me into the mortality of it and be like, hi, it's not just something icky that you have to explain to people that they think is weird and you're like, yeah, I am talking about my uterus, it's fine. It, this is actually going to affect how long you will live also. And so I really was able to like get this different perspective and identify that I wasn't ready for this to be my life, for this to be my only life. I wanted my life back. And so I made the decision. And at the time I remember deciding that we'd talked about it and we were open to freezing eggs, right? Just in case, just in case I had changed my mind because that was my biggest thing was that I was facing a decision. It's not just, are you gonna have kids or not, right? That wasn't the decision I was facing. I was facing, are you going to remove the organ that allows you to bring children into this world? Because that's a definite decision, mm -hmm. right? And that was what I was making. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, because if I'm not living, what's the point mm -hmm. in me bringing this other human into the world? So were you guys going to freeze eggs for like surrogacy? Mm -hmm. uh, in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. For the, just for the possibility. For the exactly. Yeah. yeah. And very quickly mm -hmm. decided against that. I was okay. like, no, it's not realistic. I don't, I don't need it. Mm -hmm. I don't need it. I will say that I was definitely lucky that um, throughout my journey, several months down the road, Spirit mm -hmm. dropped the epitome of my child into my lap. <laughs> it didn't look the way that I thought it was going to, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Iris is definitely a lot furry than mm -hmm. a human child would be, <laughs> but I am still here to say that if I could have given birth to a fur child from a body without a uterus, it would be her. <laughs> and being a dog that was a puppy mill rescue that was be abandoned because she couldn't have puppies, it was truly divine. And immediately when we got her, I mean, we adopted her and I thought that she was gonna be with my mom. I was like, yeah, you're good. I love it. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll share custody, but that's your dog. And then sure enough, as soon as we got her, I couldn't even go to the bathroom without her. And for the next six weeks, she showered with me every <laughs> single day, inseparable. So I really feel like the, the family that I thought that I was sacrificing, mm -hmm. I actually received by sacrificing mm -hmm. the the typical the stereotypical yeah picture of what I thought that family was going to look like and when you stepped out of that codependency mm -hmm. and started making decisions for yourself right and for the body I was living in today right not the body not the life that I aspired to have down right. the road not the life that was like oh when I turn 35 I'm going to have a million dollars. I'm going to be able to pay for surrogacy. I'm going to be able to pay for this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And it won't matter if I can't take care of myself because I'll be able to pay for it. Right? <laughs> like that's not the life I was living. I was right. like, no, hold on a second. That's today. Right. Right now. Mm -hmm. And Matt was really great about that too. He was, he was really great at like, this is, this is it. This is our mm -hmm. life right here. I'm worried about you, right. not the future you that you, th you think might exist. Right. And that was, I think, probably the biggest aha moment when I turned 30 was like, this is the life that you've been planning for, right? Mm -hmm. Like in your 20s, you live life and you just experience it and you're like, you think that you're, you have your whole life ahead of you. Yep. It's just, it's all out there in the future and you just have your whole life ahead of you. And then you turn 30 and you're like, oh wait, that life is right now. Yeah. My life is existing currently, actually. Currently, yeah. yeah. And so what a beautiful realization to then bring you kind of back into that moment mm -hmm. and that, that presence of mind and have that mindfulness and really be present mm -hmm. in what was going on. And I think mm -hmm. that that was definitely the lesson that I had to learn going into the hysterectomy because of everything I went through. Right. Was to be able to really sit with who I was at the moment, experience what I was experiencing in that moment, all good and bad feels, all overwhelm, 
everything because that allowed me to then deal with the misery on a daily basis and see what what was what magic was inside that misery mm-hmm. on the other side on the other side well and I don't know about you but for me I felt like when I was in my 20s I had an unfounded level of confidence and certainty that oh, yeah. I knew what was right not just for myself but for everybody around me mm-hmm. you know oh yeah like with my siblings and stuff like that if they didn't make a decision that I thought they should have made mm-hmm. they were idiots why could they not see it this way why couldn't blah 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 and it wasn't until I got into my 30s that I was like yeah everybody has their own life mm-hmm. everybody has their own path yeah. and you've got plenty to be going on with with your own so let's like let's maybe maybe figure that out first amen. before you start thinking you've got answers for other people amen you know absolutely so I think that's what must have been insanely hard being in that chaotic confusion of your 20s trying mm-hmm. to make a decision that was going to affect you the rest of your life, you know? That yeah. was had to have been really, really hard. It was. It was. I, I would say that I think that the simultaneously the hardest part but also, like, the funniest part mm-hmm. for me has been the sympathy that I am met with yeah. everywhere I go. The, oh, oh, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry you didn't have children. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I know you're just this, this woe is me. Right. And Mm -hmm. I haven't felt a single ounce of that. Even when I was at my most miserable. Yeah. Like, like you never felt that for yourself. No, no, no. So Mm -mm. for you, it sounds like for your hysterectomy, it was much more of a running towards a fulfilling life. Absolutely. Versus running from the pain. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, you were uh ready for it. I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I was diving head first in. And I will say Matthew and his timing with this ring was impeccable. (laughs) Uh, Proposing Saturday and then me getting my hysterectomy on Tuesday was Epic. Yeah. Um, definitely. What a roller coaster of emotions that week must have been. Right. Oh my yeah. heavens. It was incredible. It was incredible. Um, I, but it was just so, I, I mean, I was on another level. Yeah. I was on another level. Like, you ask my mom. She's like, did, did she pay attention to herself? <laughs> I was more concerned about everybody else around me and yeah. their experience in my healing. Mm-hmm. Now, now I know. Yeah. You know, the disassociation and the, uh, the trauma response. However. Yeah. I was excited. I was like, yes, let's go. Let's let's get after it. We knew that we had a huge battle ahead of us mm-hmm. and we and that's really we were we were diving in head first and um I would say honestly that that might be that might have been like the secret to my demise. <laughs> because or I wasn't met with, to your enlightenment. True. Very true. Very true. Because you would have never gotten there if you hadn't gotten as low as you True got. story. True story. I had to really, like, get through that moment of removing all physical causes for the situation that I was in mm-hmm. and lose all hope and all resources and everything, really, mm-hmm. to, to really dig deep and realize that I didn't have all the answers mm-hmm. and that they, it was going to look different. Yeah. And that um, the climb, so running towards the hysterectomy was like I was running towards a mountain, mm-hmm. right? And I had done, I'd made it to the first vista post-hysterectomy. I was like, okay, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that there was an even bigger mountain ahead of me. And I thought that I'm like, hey, it's my sixth surgery. I'm a pro by now. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Cake. Yeah. It's going to be cake. This is so fine, guys. It's going to be so fine. <laughs> yeah. Not once did I anticipate being bedridden, incontinent of urine, incontinent of stool, couldn't hold my body upright, couldn't walk across the floor, um, had to step away from the bedside, had to quit mm-hmm. my job, completely suicidal. Not because I didn't want to be alive anymore, but because I did not know if I had the strength to continue to wake up every single day and be in this amount of pain mm-hmm. every day. And talking to my surgeon who had been my guardian angel at this point, I, that's mm-hmm. what I referred to her as. Mm-hmm. Talking to her, she is telling me that I've reached my max with Western medicine and that there's nothing else they can do for me. That the amount of tissue destruction that there was inside my abdomen was devastating and that I had been expecting far too much for my body for far too long. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, okay, there's nothing else out there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 
I really hit that low that I couldn't get out of. Mm -hmm. Got myself on TikTok. Mm -hmm. That's that's where it was. I got myself on TikTok and I did a little deep dive. And I remember finding some like TikTok therapy videos mm -hmm. and being and like loving it, right? And they and they were working. Like mm -hmm. I was integrating them into my life, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, "Damn, this, mm -hmm. is, this is pretty easy. Mm -hmm. What's going on? This is working. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's TikTok. People are gonna laugh at me. <laughs> TikTok I can't is fixing my pain. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I can't tell anybody about this, right? And then I started to realize, like, huh, if there's all this stuff out there on TikTok, mm -hmm. imagine what I could find if I just looked mm -hmm. for something that might have a more open mind mm -hmm. that might help me, right? And I found a pelvic floor PT in Washington, uh -huh. the state. Yep. For all those listeners at home, we are in Ohio. So it would have been one heck of a commute. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I remember talking to them because I was so excited that they had a they had like a pelvic floor yoga workout program. And okay. like you could like get online and like do their workouts and like whatever, all that stuff from home. So I was like, I got this, I can totally do it. And they're like, sweetheart, you're gonna need to get a physical eval. Yeah. Like, you, you do need someone to, like, assess the Manage pelvic floor, right? Like, we know that you think you know what you're doing, yeah. but, like, mm, <laughs> you might need some help here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, sounds great. So I got on the World Wide Web. <laughs> got on the Google. Uh-huh. And I found two practitioners. Mm -hmm. Two. And through reading their bios, I was like, you know what? These both land. I'm going here. I didn't book a discovery call with you. No, you didn't. No, I just signed up. I was like, all right, let's do this. You were just there. I was just there. And I honestly, I didn't, I did not anticipate continuing to see you. Yeah. I thought I was coming in for an eval. Yeah, to do your thing so you could yes, get the yoga program. Exactly. Yeah. And the moment that I walked in, I was like, oh my God, I have goosebumps. Like, this is completely different. Like, what's going on? I don't understand. And as I'm explaining to you my symptoms and my history and like what I had been dealing with, mm -hmm. It was met with such great empathy and understanding, and there was there was not sympathy. It was not sympathy. You were not telling me how bad you felt for me mm -hmm. or how sorry you were. Mm -hmm. You were like, yeah, this is going to be a long road. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about six months. Mm -hmm. You're going to see me probably twice a week. Mm -hmm but there is definitely a chance mm -hmm. that we can improve your mm -hmm. quality of life. And if it, and I remember from the very first day, I left your office with like five business cards of <laughs> all of these other providers that I could, could add to my team. Uh -huh. And I remember you telling me that if my case was too severe that you had a colleague mm -hmm. that you could refer me to. Mm -hmm. And even just that statement, I was like, just this huge weight was off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. This okay. isn't the end of the road. No. Yeah, right. I was like, hold on a second. Like, this is, this is pretty, this is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And a couple weeks in really, really was when I was like, wow, this is, this is going to change my life. This mm -hmm. is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. And I remember, like, I remember it still being very early on, like maybe the second or third appointment that I had with you, mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I really want to be her friend. <laughs> we really need to have a podcast. I could talk to you for hours. Um, here's here the we thing. Are. Right, exactly. But at the time I was like, there's no way. <laughs> Chelsea, just because you think you're cool and you tend to gather friends in the healthcare system mm -hmm. does not mean that she like wants to be your friend. She's way cooler than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got to meet me more and you were like, nope, just kidding. <laughs> Not at all. You're the coolest. You're the most incredible human. Oh, I appreciate that. Hence why we're here. Yes, exactly. Well, I will say your tenacity is um, <laughs> one of your strengths. <laughs> I, I don't know that. that no was an option in any front. As I've mentioned before, when I was like, Charles, listen, I'm only going to do a podcast if you can like figure out how to make it work and figure out platforms, all this kind of stuff. Like I'll show up and I will talk to anybody about anything, happy to do it, but like I don't want to do anything else. And I thought that means no, like, <laughs> we're done with this. And you're like, cool, I got the list of things I need to make sure that Allison gets on a podcast and then you made it happen. <laughs> <laughs> What's hilarious is it wasn't intentional at all. 
<laughs> not at all. No. It was like a, it was a blip in my mind. And I remember your, I remember how it was met. Yeah. Like I was, I was all like, oh my gosh, I am diving into this world of social media. Uh-huh. There's so much out there. Uh-huh. You're, you are such a diamond in the rough. We have got to get you on a larger stage. Like people have got to see this. And I remember being like, we need to record your sessions. We need to, and you were like, no. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to bring my ring light. It's fine. Yeah. I do remember the ring light. Mm -hmm. And we did, we recorded the session and you went, you talked me through like my exercises and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't right. Like I could feel it. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything with the video. Mm -hmm. I had it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't do anything with it. And then it just kind of slowly evolved. Mm Mm-hmm. And through my own journey, right? Mm-hmm. So you referring me to who you've referred me to and the mm-hmm. work that I've started to do within myself is really kind of what got us here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And how we found Abigail. Yes. Which was amazing. Yay. <laughs> That's when the kicking and screaming started. It is when the kicking and screaming, the road rash began. Yeah. All the way back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How fun it's been. It's so fun. It's been a fun road. Oh, it's been so fun. Yeah. Yoga in hospital gowns. The best. The best. The best. Yes. Abigail, did we tell you that story? No, I have not heard that. Oh, my gosh. So, Chelsea and I do, like, two-hour sessions Uh where we we gab for a bit, and then we will do yoga together, and then we will do – I'll do, like, manual therapy on her abdomen – Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like go for that. And sometimes we'll go get lunch. Mm-hmm. And so one of these days we were planning on going and getting lunch. And a lot of times we typically tend to do like gentle or yin yoga. Mm-hmm. And this particular time she was like, I'm feeling it. Like I want to do power yoga, but we were planning on going to lunch afterwards. And we both sweat like animals. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. And so I was like, Oh, I have gowns. So we literally like just kept Undressed. our like pants on, but like, t- cause like nobody wants to go to, out to eat in like a sweaty bra. Yeah. It's so <laughs> uncomfortable. So gross. So we just like took so off our top okay. and put on a, um, put on our hospital gowns and like tied them up and we did yoga in hospital gowns. It was the best. It was the best. And then we went the to lunch afterwards and it was delicious. No, we, we talk. Yeah. Well, we've been meeting once a week for two hours for the last like eight months and <laughs> we still seem to fill the entire time. Oh, yeah. Like, tell me about the nine lives you've lived this week. Exactly. And Chelsea will go and she'll talk about it, she'll talk about it and everything like that. And it's so good. But there's like times where I'm like, okay, like for just so you know, like you had about like 30% of that conversation in your head. Like, like only 70% of it came out. So it's like, I'm going to need you to roll back for a second. Like, yes. so, so who did what now? She's like, oh yeah. And then she'll like tell me again. I'm like, oh man. It's like, I, I'm pretty good. It was I when we had Lydia there. Yes. And I was telling her, I was like, I'm really good at speaking Chelsea. Like I can jump, I can jump the gaps that mm-hmm. she's left in the conversation because mm-hmm. the conversation, the whole thing happened up here. Thank God. But only part of it, only most of it comes out, right? Thank God for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I, sp- I speak Chelsea pretty well, mm-hmm. but I had um, another patient that day who um, is, is um, challenging on the conversational front. Uh-huh. And I was like, um, I, I struggle a little bit more with this person. So you might hear me just like. Okay, so that I'm understanding what exactly does that mean? Yes, you know, like yes. let me make sure that I'm on the same page with what you're saying here because yeah, then there's nothing worse than like like what was oh my gosh, there was a huge misunderstanding between me the patient and I one time. Oh my gosh. And it was like a it was a sexual thing. It was something that they and their partner or they by themselves were doing. I can't exactly remember what it was, but what they were saying and what I was understanding, I was like, I don't understand the physics of how this works. Like, I don't understand what's happening here. I'm like, the I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, I'm going to need you to be graphic with me here because I don't get what you're saying. And so when I was like, okay, so I, this is what I'm understanding. And I, I just, I don't feel like this can be right because I, I don't understand how that works. And they lost it they were laughing so hard they were like what no that is not i was like okay like it didn't make sense to me logistically i couldn't figure out how it was happening and then they were able to describe it again and i was like oh thank god i asked can you imagine if i'm sitting here trying to like brainstorm a way to like uh-huh. make this happen in a pain-free way because right. that's really what i do i don't judge what anybody's doing no. if this is what they say they want to do and it's not hurting it's not illegal mm-hmm. and it's not a danger to them or somebody else then yeah. i'm happy to help them figure out a way to do this but i was like logistically i don't understand how this is working 
<laughs> and then they explained it. I was like, oh, yeah, I can help you with that. Let's <laughs> that's fine. That part's fine. I can help you with that. Oh man. Oh my gosh. No, I love I love the ability that you have to to speak Chelsea is phenomenal because you you translate for me, which is wonderful. I'm like, so what I'm hearing is yeah, exactly. My guides speak to your guides, and then it just comes out, and I'm like, oh, thank God you could put that together. Yes, I couldn't. I was, was not there. It was there. It was somewhere, and I just couldn't quite couldn't quite grab it either. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's all we have for you today. I'd like to take this time to thank you for listening to our very first episode and joining us on this new journey ahead. If you've liked what you heard, I encourage you to go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in from today. We'd love to hear about what you enjoyed most about today's episode, as well as any ideas or thoughts you have on what you might like to hear next. Check out the show notes below for more information and links to where you can follow along and join the conversation. And hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes each week. With love and light, this has been the healing art of being you. Until next time.